We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's up and welcome to another BuzzBeat, your favorite Charlotte Hornets podcast. You can follow us at BuzzBeatPod on Twitter and find our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is Richie and I'll be joined by co-host Spencer and Brian today. Also, if you wanted to follow us on our personal accounts, you can follow me at Richie Randall. Spencer is at QCH Spencer and Brian is at Bgeis underscore Bird. Uh, speaking of the co-host, Spencer, how is everything going? Good. Can't complain. Um, I've been catching up on a lot of Hornets basketball like here and there when I can. It, you know, this happens every year with the West Coast trips. Um, you know, I can't just schedule doesn't work out where I can watch them live. Number one, because they're late. Uh, the, the back-to-backs with you know, one on a Sunday, um, you know, with divisional playoff games going on. So <laughs> playing a lot of catch up, but it's a good time to be playing uh, catch up at Hornets basketball. They're, they're predictably winless so far out West. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, their, their schedule is going to have a little bit of a, a break here, but yeah, the West coast trip, Brian and I were talking about it prior to the recording. It just seems like every single year when they go on this trip, you can expect uh, a yeah. maximum of one win, right, Brian? No doubt. I mean, you can certainly find pod recordings from like 2018 and 2019, perhaps even 2017, too, of us discussing the same thing. Um, This West Coast swing that with Denver and Utah and Portland, like the the like mountain time zone, Pacific Northwest, Pacific time zone. It's just it never seems to go very well for the Hornets. There's a variety of reasons that probably go into that. Um, This year seems to be no different, but. You got a team that's uh, that just is. They played a lot of basketball. Um, they played a lot of minutes, especially you know the last probably four six weeks. Um, and it's tough to go on the road and play back to backs at elevation. Like it's it, it's hard. But I still think even some of these games, maybe not the Utah game as much, but there's still some positives to take out, especially uh, the Portland Portland matchup. Yeah, I mean, Portland's obviously uh, underperforming this season, but uh, they did perform a little bit better against. What a weird team the Blazers are, too. Just like the parts of that roster make total sense, like Lillard and McCollum and like nothing else. Just nothing else made. Baysmore, I guess, to an extent, too. But and having Nurkic, you know, being injured doesn't help, yeah, obviously. And Zach Collins as well, too. Absolutely. But you're like, oh, my God, Jalen Horde, he's playing. Oh, Hassan Whiteside, how many minutes is he playing? Um, Carmelo Anthony's going to get 10 post-ups tonight? Like, it, it, parts of it, I, I get they're, they're doing, they're making do with what they got. But uh, it's just, it's, it's strange. It's a strange roster, in my opinion. All right, so at the time of this recording, the Hornets have played 43 games, uh, which is a lot compared to the rest of the league, uh, with a record of 15 and 28. And so we're just past that midway point of the season. So on today's episode, what we're going to do is evaluate this team uh, halfway through the season and then also hand out some superlative awards uh, at the end of the episode. We're going to switch things up a little bit and actually start with your Twitter questions. I know normally... We save those for the end. The first question, a friend of the show here at Patrick Connor 7 
Should we re-sign Biz? Uh, clearly, Biz is heading into the offseason as a free agent after coming off that $17 million contract, a contract that he will likely never see again. Uh, this isn't his best season by any means, guys, but he has been a factor with his energy on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, even despite having his lowest block percentage of his career, he still takes away shots at the rim from opponents, and opponents shoot worse at the rim when he's on the court. He's a really good energy guy, a good guy to get going on the offensive glass, uh, and just a really all-around good guy and teammate uh, that I think any team would you know, be lucky to have, but uh, in terms of production, he doesn't always bring it on the offensive side of the court. And I, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure what a reasonable salary is for Biombo this offseason. This summer is interesting in the sense that the crop of free agents is not that great. Uh, and so I'm not really sure where the leverage is. Is it with the teams or is it with the players uh, where they're not kind of competing against some of the better big name free agents? And I, I don't know, $4 million, $5 million, is that too low, too high for Biombo? I'm not really sure. But to answer the question, uh, in my personal opinion, I think I would probably lean towards going a different direction. I, I don't think it would be out of the any kind of out of the ordinary kind of scenario here to re-sign biz whatsoever. I think for a reasonable price, it would be okay. Uh, and I think having a veteran like him on this team or any team is needed, uh, regardless if you're competing or you know in the process uh, of rebuilding like the Hornets are. So I'd lean towards no, don't re-sign him. But uh, Brian, do you have other thoughts about this? Well, the Hornets are going to probably need some center depth next season, I suppose. I mean, Willie Aaron and Gomez, Bismack Biombo, both unrestricted free agents this season. Um, Willie's sort of a recent playing time notwithstanding, I, I don't think there's going to be a ton of interest to bring him back uh, into the fold. Biz at least offers this discrete set of skills. Um, I don't think Biz has been necessarily you know, that great this season in terms of uh, impact and is he a, a necessarily a, a guy that numbers spit out and say that he's a winning basketball player, but he's shot an okay number at the rim. Um, I believe he and Devonte Graham in terms of passer to score combinations are in the top, certainly in the top 10, maybe even close to the top five in terms of uh, finishes with assist at the rim. Um, and I think, but, but ultimately if you bring this guy back, you're doing it for, um, you know, the intangible purposes, right? The, the fact that he's a leader and he, he's like a, he's a worldly cosmopolitan fellow that clearly has the respect of some of the young guys in the locker room and, um, you know, how much value does that have? Um, especially a guy that over two stints in his career has spent time in Charlotte. Now that said, you know, the theoretical money that you would use to resign him for, you know, could that be better served? elsewhere um or in different ways uh, is it worth kicking the can on a on more on a different a younger center depth with some upside um so to say i think in fact all that factors into it uh biz at a small number and if he was going to be say your your fifth or sixth big man uh, that's one thing where i could i could potentially get down down with but i think anything above that anything too far above the minimum co minimum contract um, I think I'd start looking elsewhere. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you guys have said. I mean, Richie, I, I think he has a great locker room presence. He has a similar impact to a guy like, uh, like Marvin, but I don't think he's worth bringing back really at, at any number, but the reason is just, he's a non-factor offensively. And I think where you really start to run into an issue with biz, especially with a young team is that if you have a center who, really can't do anything offensively, can't roll to the basket, catch the ball, keep a, you know keep an offensive sequence going, then you're really kind of stunting the growth of your younger players. And I think that like a good example is Devontae Graham. You know, when he gets trapped and Biz is setting the ball screen, um, Devontae can't do anything with the basketball. You know, like he can throw it in there to Biz, but the play's dying or Biz is dropping it and the other team's off to the races going the other way. I mean, most of the time, Devontae has to reverse pivot throw an opposite court to the guy coming up to, to relieve him outside of biz rolling. So like, that's where I think that if you're the Hornets, you say biz has been great for this team, great presence, been a real, actually great defensive impact. I mean, if you're into defensive or, or real plus minus uh, numbers, which I think have some noise certainly, but they are 
I think a good indicator of the impact you're making on both sides of the floor. This is the eighth most impactful center in the NBA this year. So, I mean, there, there's something here, but I, I just think I would rather take the chance on a younger player, like Brian said, a little bit more athletic, can do a little bit more with the ball offensively. I mean, that's going to help P.J. Washington get him more uh, touches with the ball when you reverse it. That's going to probably be better for Miles Bridges. Certainly going to be better for Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham when they see traps off the ball screen. So I think, it, again, the decision here is probably a higher upside offensive player gives us a chance to reach a higher ceiling when it comes to developing our young players, which is the number one priority for this franchise right now. Yeah, I mean, you can tell in those minutes when, when P.J. has to play with with biz which is a lot it happens like there's just certain stuff that can't quite get to um you know it makes the pick and rolls with pj as the roll guy a lot more of a challenge um they still get to him and pj can pass in short spaces so that helps a little bit but when they run those like horns you know drag you know one guy pops one guy rolls you just you know what's going to happen every time and on the rare occasion that pj rolls and biz pops well your possession is cooked already and yeah, you can just see last last couple of weeks, Cody's offense has been, I think, pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And in his playmaking in short spaces, like on the short roll, has been, I think, phenomenal. Actually, uh, both as a passer and as a as a finisher, and it's just a real difference from when he comes in the game as opposed to Biz. So respect, have have serious respect for Biz mm-hmm. and his leadership skills. But um, there's maybe better ways to use what are you know a limited amount of resources you have in the 2020 offseason. Yeah, I think uh, you know Spencer kind of brought this up, the pairing with Biz and some of the younger players and how Borrego wants to run this offense. And it's free-flowing, and, and, and players have got to do multiple types of actions. And, and Biz is pretty limited when it comes to what he can do on the court. Uh, the pairing between Devontae and, and Cody Zeller uh, just seems to run a whole lot smoother to me. And uh, I've been a big proponent in, in putting Zeller back in the starting lineup, but I understand why Borrego trots out biz to start the games let's go on to the oh go ahead sorry one last thought real quick i mean i i do think it is a value proposition and i think like you know willie gets minutes in portland last night and willie continue to get more i i think the answer is probably yes because the Hornets are going to stink defensively no matter who they trot out there at center so why you give biz you know those minutes when you know you're handicapping the rest of your the players you need the young players you need to develop on the offensive end. Where you could roll a, a guy like Willie out there last night, and you could just see how much more seamless the offense flows and how many more opportunities at the rim and, and getting the ball going side to side and second chances uh, come from that. I mean, it's just look if we're going to win games, which at this point we don't really care about that much, but if we're going to win them, we're going to outscore teams. Right. And not try to play chess matches with matchups because the Hornets aren't going to win any chess matches really across the NBA right now when it comes to matchups. So it can go either way. It's one of those things where the, the Hornets team struggles defensively. So you want as many defenders out there as possible. But to your point, Spencer, they struggle so much. I'm not sure if Biz makes that much of an impact on the defensive side where it's going to make up for anything that he does on the offensive side. So you might as well just go out there and trot out some lineups that that are offensive-based and and Biz doesn't fit the bill there. All right, let's take a break real quick. Have you guys ever seen an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Well, because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked, no matter your size or shape. Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. I have two of my own, and I couldn't recommend them anymore. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Next question here from Brian underscore Finlayson. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Is Bacon an under-the-radar trade candidate? He also mentions previously in a tweet that his recent run of play seems too much of a coincidence for him not to be a trade candidate. I think, to me, with the amount of money that he is making only at $1.6 million this this season— it seems too low of a salary and in his play to kind of garner some kind of attention 
and draw you know attention around the league to make it worthwhile to trade Bacon. So to me, I honestly think that the Borrego is playing him to really try to get him back into the rotation, boost his confidence. We've seen his past handful of games that he's actually been more aggressive, more assertive in what he's doing and attacking the rim. Clearly, the efficiency is not there from last season. Uh, so I, I don't really view it as an under-the-radar trade candidate uh, with Dwayne Bacon. Yes, his salary is low, and it feels like you can you know, make a trade seemingly with, with almost anyone, but uh, I'm not sure it's even worthwhile for the Hornets to do something like that because what would you be getting back? Uh, so can he be added to a trade? Sure, but I, I don't view him as a focal piece in a trade uh, with the Hornets. So, Spencer, any thoughts on this as an under-the-radar trade candidate for Dwayne Bacon? Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, the salary, you brought up a good point. It's a very low salary. I mean, outside of your, like, uh, kind of random challenge trade, you know, here's this guy's restricted rights and here's this guy's restricted rights and, you know, roll the ball out and see if you like it more than we did. Um, I don't I don't really see how, how Dwayne Bacon really has any value. Um, and, and the other thing is, Again, he's going to be a restricted free agent this summer, and if a, if there's a team out there that really wants him, they can throw an offer sheet out that Charlotte's not going to match, likely. So why give something up uh, to get him now? I mean, when you can just throw offer sheet his way this summer. So and you know what? I, I don't really think the Hornets would be interested in anything that would be worthwhile unless somebody blew their socks off because you know Dwayne's starting to come on a little bit I think that this is going to be a tough evaluation for Charlotte he's he's been a roller coaster in terms of his play and his confidence and now he's getting minutes again I mean the guy's shooting 50% from the floor and from behind the arc in the last 10 games so here we go again just like he ended last season <laughs> and I, I you know this is going to be a tough decision for the Hornets they're going to have all kinds of cap space this summer I don't think they use it but if Dwayne Bacon you know, in the second half of the season plays similar to the way he's played recently and similar to the way he ended last year, I think they have to probably think really hard of signing him to a savvy contract and bringing him back for a few years. Yeah, I don't see Bacon as, as much of a trade uh, trade asset at the moment. And, um, you know, uh, but I guess I should say, and I say this completely in jest, but uh, call up the Lakers See if they want to do Kuzma for Bacon straight up, baby. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's get the wheels spinning. LeBron needs Bacon in uh, in in LA. Um, Kuzma's got to get rid of that haircut first, or that, that <laughs> yeah. hair color. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I get the feeling at this point. <laughs> I might rather have Bacon. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, Dwayne, yeah. Dwayne offers at least there's with Bacon. There's sort of a a skill package that I that I that you kind of want are these like a, attacking minded wings. He gets to the rim a ton. Um, obviously, he's, he, he has some ups and downs finishing there. Uh, he shot very poorly this season. Um, his effective shooting number is way, way, way down. Yeah, forty-one percent effective shooting this season. Fifty, close to fifty-five percent last year. Uh, about the same amount of minutes. Different style of of you know teammates around him, obviously. So I just can't. I can't. I don't think Bacon has much appeal as a trade asset in general. Um, as you guys said, that number is sort of a, uh, it can be sort of a, a, a weird one to even, to even move in a trade to just cause it, it's so small. But, um, no, I, I think, I think with Dwayne is the guy that, uh, I don't mind him being a part of the, the future here in Charlotte. I think there's some stuff that he does well on the wing, but yeah, this season's just been tough for him. I mean, again, couple, couple good games recently. That's nice to see, but, uh, the, the the advanced numbers are not super kind to to Twain Bacon after a slow start in the injury. The whole the whole wing rotation has been very interesting this season. Oh, it's like, so I, I got Tim well, playing and yeah. We can we can talk about that more uh, a little bit later. I actually have a note jotted down on okay. on that. So sounds good, Brian. So we're gonna go ahead and switch over to the midseason ratings, rankings, superlatives. Again, the Hornets are past the midway point with their 15 and 28 record, uh, and they're actually two and eight in their last 10 games, which is not great. But they still rank ninth in the East. That's how bad the East is. So, according to Cleaning the Glass, uh, their offensive rating is 21st, and their defensive rating is 28th. And then the pace, which is interesting to me, is last in the NBA. Guys, like, like, does that not surprise you a little bit in terms of like? Borrego wanting to push the pace and it seems like when he first came in the league 
He was all about, you know, playing with a low shot clock and, and practices and trying to get up and down the court. Does that surprise you guys at all that the pace is 30th in the NBA? A little bit because they were definitely trying to run in preseason. I mean, they, they were they were running. But, I, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the emergence of, of Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. Certainly Devontae Graham. I mean, this team is most efficient offensively when he's coming off high ball screens and, and breathing fire, right? So – um, he's not a guy who's going to catch it, sprint, you know, sprint out um, off of a defensive rebound and and get all the way to the rim, you know, or or shoot a transition three. I mean, he he needs that ball screen into, you know, to cook with gas kind of out of that play type. So I think that has a lot to do with why this team has has slowed down. Yeah, I originally thought that like the pace. Obviously, it it takes into consideration possessions and you know the Hornets are a team that gives up a lot of offensive rebounds but they also collect a lot of offensive rebounds so that that's like a longer possession there so that I feel like factors in but it, for them to be last in the NBA that can't be the only reason so I would I would just also add to like they were part of the reason why they were playing faster earlier in the season and some of that was they were playing faster off of um like a defensive rebound yes, and, they're not um, and they're still like playing. I mean, they're still probably close to the top 10 or 12 in the NBA in that, but I would say, you know, over the first six weeks of the season that they're probably playing at least on average a second slower, half a second slower, like they've slowed down in that. And that was really where they were generating uh, most of their pace was they were playing fast after opponents misses. All right. So let's get into the superlatives. What we're going to do here is players and team oriented awards if you want to call them so we're going to first start off with the biggest player surprise and then if you have an obvious choice maybe you want to offer up and also in like an honorable mention if you if you want to talk about that player as well so I'll start with this one to me the biggest player surprise I'm sure you guys are going to say the same thing Devontae Graham you know having a breakout season with this team still very much a player that that lives outside the three-point line and teams are keying in on him but He's such an impactful player, and as I mentioned on the last episode, I believe, his on-off numbers are just elite in terms of the difference between when he sits versus when he plays. Uh, his passing is top-notch. We saw flashes of that last season, but becoming more of a, uh, a focal point in this offense, you're, you're seeing his passing come to the forefront of his game. He's basically improved in every statistical category, and just from the eye test, he's making this team better. I did not expect this type of jump, uh, and I'm sure no one did, out of Devontae Graham. I thought maybe he'd be like a, a six-man on this team and you know maybe play some crunch time minutes with Terry Rozier, but never did I think that he would be in the starting rotation this early. And it just seems like it was a quick rise with Devontae Graham. So, Brian, I'm going to pass it to you first. Biggest player surprise uh, so far in this season. Yeah, I mean, Devontae is, it has to be at the top of the list for sure. I think he has a great case to be made for uh, most improved player in the NBA. There's some other names you could throw out there. Bam Adebayo will certainly has a good case. Um, but, but Devontae is right at the top of the list. And just to see where he's gone from lightly used backup that couldn't really shoot last season to one of the top pick and roll engines in the NBA is, even though he's, he clearly struggles at the rim, he has struggles from the mid-range. What he's able to do, shooting from above the break, and in terms of his passing, uh, the pick and roll, and, and his transition passing, I think he's been really good this season as well, too. But uh, Devontae, 9.4 three-point attempts per game this season, 60% of his field goal attempts, uh, 42% shooting off the catch overall, 37% shooting on threes off the dribble, over six attempts per game, 40% of his field goal attempts. Um, according to Synergy, 53.5% effective shooting on off-dribble jumpers in the half court. That is number four in the NBA among players with 100 or more field goal attempts behind only uh, Bogdanovich, Harden, and Dame Lillard. Last season, it was below 42%, so big spike there. On the catch-and-shoot attempts in the half court this season, 62% effective shooting, number 16 among players with at least 100 of those attempts. That's up from under 52% effective shooting on half-court catch-and-shoots last season, too. And Charlotte has scored over 1.01 points per possession when Graham either uses a pick-and-roll or passes it to someone else that uses a pick-and-roll possession. Uh, he's used 878 of those possessions this season, 
Only 192 of those all last season. So a massive jump there too. You only got other guys in the NBA that have at least 700 of these combined pick and roll possessions are Luca, Dame, uh, Lou Williams, Trey Young, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Like in terms of usage and assist rate, uh, Devonte is absolutely elite in both. Or just he ranks in factoring his efficiency, he, he he ranks elite as a as a guy that is high usage, is a high engine in terms of a is is a high assist rate guy in terms of a half court creator. Um, he mixed in his efficiency and and he's turned into a really really good player. Um, the only other, one of the other things I would offer up, and, and I could probably wax poetically about just how good PJ Washington's been this year too. But I want to bring this up because I think Malik Monk's defensive improvement. We've talked a lot on this podcast about um, his his ability to get to the rim this season, and, and I mean he's he's sort of struggled shooting the last couple of games. Three pointer continues to really slump. Still getting to the rim though. But Malik's defense, uh, this is a guy that really struggled this, across his first two seasons in the NBA and, and help situations, team defense. You know, I don't think Malik's ever going to be a stopper. And, and I thought against against Portland, against the Blazers, he didn't have actually – I thought he actually had one of his uh, more, more poor showing defensively than he's had maybe all this season. But the guy hits his spots. He's usually in the right place. I just – considering where he was just a couple months ago, if you look back to last season – I think he's he's sort of locked in and has showed a greater attention to detail and a greater uh, motor on that end of the court and thinks things have just slowed down for him a little bit. And even as he's having struggles offensively, it's good to see these baseline defensive aspects show up um, because I think it raises the floor for him as a prospect, a guy that still hasn't even turned 22 yet. Um, so, yeah, those would be two of my bigger, more pleasant surprises. Yeah, I mean, you guys covered Devontae pretty well. So, I mean, he was my biggest surprise, but I won't delve into that any deeper, other than the fact he's second in the league in three-point attempts, which is my favorite stat of all time, I think. I mean, who would have thought that uh, that guy would have chucked like that after shooting whatever miserable percentage he shot last year from behind the arc? Um, I mean, look, Terry Rozier, I mean, there's a a really surprising stat with him. Uh, He's fourth in the NBA um, in catch-and-shoot threes. Uh, 48.8% for players of at least two per game. Uh, I mean, I I just didn't really think that was a part of his game, I guess. I I knew he was a pretty good player off there, had showed some signs of of being a decent shooter off the dribble, good with the ball in his hands, uh, can create create a little offense from time to time. We've kind of learned it's the opposite. He's better off the ball. He's better in catch-and-shoot situations. He's worse when he has to get in the pick-and-roll and create offense for others, even himself. He's been a little bit better from the mid-range uh, area recently and in the floater range, but I just didn't expect this uh, kind of off-the-ball efficiency when it comes to catch-and-shoot from Terry Rozier. So that's been a pleasant surprise. And then P.J. Washington is the other one I had uh, written down. You know, Brian touched on him for a minute, but – 66% shooting at the rim, 41 from behind the arc, 55% from the corners, 21st of 95 power forwards in the league and defensive, a real plus minus. It's just the, it's an amazing two-way impact for a rookie player. Um, you know, we've all talked about what surprised us, you know, most uh, about him, his explosiveness, you know, his quickness, his ability to stay in front of smaller players and, and uh, you know, be physical with bigger players, but I mean, it's it's so obvious that PJ Washington's going to be a good player for a long time in this league. I think now the really the question for him is how far can he climb? How far can he go? Uh, how much? How much more athleticism does he have to tap into? Are there some ball skills there that he can tap into? I mean, if these things develop and he's not just a prototypical stretch power forward, you know, Charlotte has a future all star um, and. I don't think that's likely, but I wouldn't rule it out because he showed so much this season in such a short period of time. So um, that's what I had written down as as big a surprise. Yeah, I think, you know, Rozier, Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington are probably the biggest reasons as to why this Hornets team has 15 wins this season. I know that sounds crazy that we're applauding 15 wins, but most people didn't even think this team would get to 20, 22 wins. And they're on pace to, to get above 25 obviously the the schedule you know difficulty gets a little bit harder as the season goes along but those three and one more player that i just kind of want to briefly mention it's not because he's playing amazing but it's just he surprised me in the sense that cody martin you know i did not expect him to get any real play time in charlotte you know he started to show flashes 
of his defensive uh, abilities in, in you know in, in summer league and, and in the exhibition games and stuff like that. And to me, he's a better player than I expected him to be. And I did not see him you know playing the way that he has so far. Let's go to the team aspect, not necessarily a player. What has surprised you the most about this team? I'm gonna let uh, Brian. You can lead this one off. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different ways to go with this. I think it's sort of easier to focus on on individual surprises, but I'll just jump right into um, like shot quality that the Hornets have generated this year with with again with a roster that is is limited in some ways and is is very young uh, with with homegrown talent and, and plenty of other ways too. But an offense that's having to play Bismack Biombo a lot of minutes that. You know, doesn't really have a ton of crazy high-level efficient uh, rim finishers. Um, you know, it's having to stagger point guard minutes uh, with Rozier and Graham. But despite all that, the Hornets this season, uh, 38% of their field goal attempts have been at the rim, sixth in the NBA, and 37.6% uh, of their field goal attempts have been of the three-point variety. That's eighth in the NBA. Um yeah, less than a quarter of their shots have, have been from the mid-range. Like, you just you think of the years, all those years with Kemba and, and Jeremy Lamb as, you know, the, the two primary ball handlers of, of Charlotte's offense, Kemba especially. And um, obviously those guys took plenty of – shot plenty of threes too, especially Kemba. But just so much pick and roll into the mid-range. And, as I mean, as much as we respect and like Steve Clifford, just to see where this offense has gone to, uh, in two, in you know, in less than two full seasons, and certainly in the first full season with Kemba, to be able to generate these types of looks, I mean, for an offense that itself is not very efficient overall, bottom ten in the NBA, and it certainly has struggled when Devonte sits, but they're taking the right shots. So James Borrego putting in a system, a, a culture, um, and part of that is how he wants to play stylistically on offense, and and so that to me, I'm not necessarily surprised that they've been emphasizing that, but they've been able to follow through and execute and, and actually generate those types of looks. It is a nice, pleasant surprise. Bingo. Yep. No question about it. That is 100% the most surprising thing that, that Charles has been able to do. And, and James Brego deserves a lot of credit. As Brian said, there's a really cool stat on cleaning the glass.com and it's called uh, location. It's lo location yep. effective field goal percentage. So if Charlotte shot the league average percentage, um, from you threw all their shots this season into a pie, and they shot the league average percentage. They'd have the fifth best effective field goal percentage in the NBA. Well, they don't. <laughs> they have the 24th best effective field goal percentage in the NBA at 51.4%. So, as Brian just um, you know did a great job laying out, they're taking the right shots, and all the credit should, should go to James Brego and what he is urge this team to focus on offensively that'll pay off that yeah, yep. absolutely will pay off if, if charlotte is patient with james brago and they continue to develop young talent and if they make a few good decisions you know in free agency and in the draft like we actually will be the fifth most efficient uh shooting team in the nba with the right players on the team but you got to stick to that plan so yep brian said it perfectly that's 100 the most uh, surprising thing that this team has been able to accomplish yeah that makes it three for three i also put offensive profile and just what james brago's doing and and Spencer, that, that point that you brought up about location effective field goal percentage, basically what that's saying is we don't have the personnel right now that's quite efficient uh, with these numbers, but Borrego is doing exactly what he wants to in terms of putting this team in the right positions to score. He's got the right idea, and like Spencer said, it's going to pay dividends down the line. Uh, let's go to the negative side of things. Biggest player disappointment. I, I think we might vary on this. I, I had trouble deciding which player disappointed me the most. And obviously it's going to factor in kind of the hopes that you had for this player. So if you had high hopes for this player and they didn't perform, uh, I think that's where we might differ a little bit. So I I'm actually going to go MKG here. And for a team that does struggle defensively, he's definitely a player that we could use. And, and we mentioned this before about in terms of Hornets being so bad defensively, you want all the help you can on that side of the ball. But having said that, He's never really turned the corner on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't, I don't know if it's too fair to judge him because he has a limited sample size this season for whatever reason. I don't know if Borrego really didn't have him in the plans heading into the season. It seems like he never really got a fair shake. Uh, but the numbers really don't look great. I think shooting numbers across the board are down. He just doesn't seem sure of himself when he's out there. 
and I get it. He hasn't played significant minutes, and he really hasn't done so since mid-December. But to me, he's disappointed me in the sense that I thought that maybe he could be a player that plugs in with this offense where it spreads it out a little bit more, where there's not one player that's involved. It's it's predicated on ball movement and, and sharing the ball, and, and he could take advantage of those gaps with the cuts and stuff like that. So I think it's hard to judge him because of the small sample size, but to me, I expected something out of him when he hit the court. Yeah, mine won't be popular, uh, but I, I got to go with Miles Bridges. I just, and 90% of the reason is defense. I just, I'm, I'm surprised that he's made this little of a, a, a jump. I almost think in some ways he's regressed on that end of the floor. Um, but, you know, again, I know that won't be a popular choice. His shot profile is not bad. You know, he's taken a lot of threes, and he's um, up to 183 so far this year, and a lot of shots at the rim. And his efficiency isn't bad either. I and mean, 51.4% effective field goal. It's not all. It's not awesome. Um, it's acceptable, I think. Um, but you know, in the restricted area, he's about 63. Point, uh, about 63%. Uh, and then from behind the arc, you know, 35% from the left corner is 48%. So, you know, there, there's certainly something to build on there offensively. I just, he is, <clears throat> James, James Borrego has to game plan around him defensively. And I'm afraid that this is going to just be an issue for Miles Bridges that, that follows him throughout his career. Uh, I don't know if he can get to the point where you can uh, you can really find a consistent defensive role for him, and uh, and and that's going to be a problem for this team because he is a really really important development piece. So the effort wanes, the IQ isn't isn't there, and I don't know I don't know I'm nervous about him, but I've said that all season. So yeah, it was not. Yeah, you know, Quinn Snyder in Utah uh, picking on him the other night was. Um, predictable something that i would have liked to have been able to uh wager on before the game but um yeah i I think with one of my other one of my new things with miles is just he's still shooting at the rim plenty like spencer just outlined but i said this with richie a couple weeks ago like i just i wish he would get to the rim a a little bit more um a lot of a lot of kind of awkward shots off the wrong foot with the right hand using but class. see that's the thing is it the wrong hand like he no, i guess so, i guess i should say I don't know. I mean, it's, it's it's not at this point he's, he seems more comfortable uh finishing it, it maybe the off hand is maybe the or his right. not dominant hand which just happens to be the one he's more comfortable with um at the hoop yeah i, I we already touched on dwayne bacon but but he would probably for me factor in this conversation a little bit as well uh there was certainly a lot of hope uh, in the offseason, Dwayne had a big season on the horizon here. We sort of talked about that all summer, around summer league in the fall. And, um, you know, the injury was something he couldn't have planned for. But, you know, he knew his role was going to be different this season without Kemba. And, granted, he's played played well uh, recently, I think, for the most part, coming off the bench. And some of his overall defensive numbers are, are, are fine, but – Overall, uh, his impact data is not very good this season, um, and, and I think Dwayne has, has has struggled plenty as well too. So I guess I would factor him into that. I think all of this though for me comes with the the preface of like, uh, you know, there's no one on this team that isn't that isn't trying, isn't playing. Like there, I don't, I don't. There's there could be no disappointment in my book from a lack of. Um, Effort. effort or a lack of uh you know connectivity via t- uh, you know between teammates or something like that you know it's not it, this isn't like dwight two seasons ago i think this team is, is is bought in and is playing hard and they're just limited in some ways and injuries happen too so that uh, but so yeah i want to i want to get that out there too because I, I don't think there's it, it's one thing i think that even the disappointment with miles comes from this like you have such big expectations for what he could be. You see the athleticism. You see that he can shoot threes from above the break. And he even had moments during the Phoenix game the other night where he was really doing a nice job making plays in the half court. And But, yeah, so you, you see, you think you, you can visualize what he could become. Um, and to see him just struggle so much defensively, it's it's in part because the expectations are, are, are lofty and you're maybe in real time having to sort of like – you know, reset some of those expectations, which 
you know, how fair is that 120 games into someone's career? Like, I don't know, but it's a part of it. It just is. It's a part of the deal too. So, uh, but anyways, I want to spit all that out there. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point, Brian. I wanted, and I threw this stat out there on, on Twitter, I don't know, maybe a month ago or so. So I've been tracking it pretty closely because I want to see if miles can pull himself back to not even respectability, just not worst in the league among his position. He is, he is dead last 81 out of 81 qualified small forwards in the NBA and real plus minus negative point negative 5.36. He's so far behind the 80th worst player in the league that is Kevin Knox more than almost a full almost a full point behind and he's equally as negative on the offensive and defensive end I I wonder about those offensive numbers a little bit it's probably the lack of assists but um, that is a jaw-dropping number and something that I would encourage all Hornets fans to track because again real plus minus is not a perfect stat there's a lot of noise in it but that number jumps off to you and how far behind he is every other guy at his position in the league on both ends of the floor he's so far behind there's accuracy there and so I would track that and every time I look at it it just makes my jaw drop And, and I think it tells a true story just uh, just two free throw attempts for 36 minutes too. Like I'm sure some of that stuff, you know, in terms of the those offensive impact yeah. numbers, like the lack of free throw attempt rate is 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 not great for a guy. Not a high usage player. I think he's probably hovering around 19 or 20 percent. But uh, for someone who's so athletic, um, who's yeah, right. Famous, for so, a guy that, yeah, yeah, for a guy like, that just pulls it at the rim like he does, it, yeah, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make yeah, sense. In, in uh, there's another thing I've said this before when, when discussing Miles, you know, sort of going forward here, he doesn't really have like an in between game, right? Like, like Miles, he can't, like, the, the when's the last time you saw him make a pull up jump shot? That, like, that was like inside the three point line. There's no like, oh, pump fake, you know, everything with a you know, pump fake dribble once or twice and settle into a 19 footer or whatever, like with, with rhythm and, and touch, like. He's either got like catch and shoot mm-hmm. from above the break. Maybe he has a little sort of like he could he could do a step back, but like none of the like it, anything else. Once he started dribbling the basketball, like it's going to be downhill going to the rim. Like it's forward leaning. Um, there's something about his his dribbling mechanics and his his lower body there. But just like he, he anytime he's going to be inside of 15 feet, like it has to be a floater. You know what I mean? Like he's just he can't. There's no he can't rhythm into a jump shot in, in certain ways. So uh, I think mostly that's okay. Like he can still be a, a spot up guy and, and a guy that attacks closeouts. But if that's the case, then he's got to get better defensively too, to, to sort of like hit, you know, one of these higher expectation levels for him as a prospect. That's a good point, Brian. You really don't see that part of his game. It, it's either picking pops or standing in the corner for threes, or he's trying to get all the way, to the rim, and, and I actually put this out on Twitter the other day in terms of, you know, I think that Miles has actually played a little bit better offensively, specifically in the past handful of games, but the more you take the ball out of his hands, I feel like the better he does. So on post-ups, yes, I mean, you're getting the ball yeah, in his hands and, and dribbling a couple of times, but just get him in post-ups, some cuts, some pick and pops. I feel like that's where he's going to excel. You put the ball in his hands at the top of the key and he has to make a play. You know, that middle area is not really a factor for him. So he's either got to get all the way to the rim or he's got to pull up for a three. But a lot of teams are trying to, you know, run him off the line there. Let's go quickly through this. Biggest team disappointment. I'm going to go team defense. I think that there's no real toughness on this side of the ball. And yes, I think personnel plays a factor in this. But this, this team, as you watch it, just too much penetration from the opposing team. Uh, they give up a lot of corner threes. And they shoot at a, and the opponents shoot at a really high clip. You know, I know that Borrego preaches two-way play, uh, but we really haven't seen that this year. And again, like I said, personnel is going to be an issue. But as a coach, he's trying everything that he can. You know, scheme-wise, they've tried zone, they've tried some pressing. Uh, they're just they're, this team is struggling on that end of the court. And even when they do get a quote-unquote stop, they can't keep teams off the offensive glass. And, and uh, so if they get that stop. Again, it's not really a stop as, as these teams are, are securing these offensive rebounds. So that, to me, is the biggest disappointment. It's not like I had high hopes for this team defense, but it, it's it's painful to watch at times. Spencer, what is your biggest disappointment uh, as a team aspect? 
Oh yeah, I mean it's it's got to be team defense. There's just no identity here. I mean that's probably the most that's the most di- disappointing factor. Um, like you said, a lot of two three zone, just a lot of guys standing around and waiting for somebody else to step in front or somebody else to box out or somebody else to dive that dive after a loose ball to to make a uh, just two feet more of a rotation. A lot of looking around. I mean, how many times are you seeing a defensive breakdown, a closeout, guy goes by whoever's closing out, nobody steps in to stop the basketball, ball's laid in, you got three guys under the basket as the ball comes through kind of looking at each other. I, I You literally see it ten times a night. And um, so, yeah, no identity, attention to detail. And that is uh, – and we're, we're going to go here in a second and talk more about Borrego, I think, but – that has certainly got to be his uh, his his test case here. Can he can he produce uh, a team that that has a defensive identity that can force the opposition into tough shots? And he hasn't proved that yet. So, all right. So we're going to get through this episode by ending it on a report card grading system. I'm a teacher, so I like giving out A's, B's, C's, D's here. Uh, we're going to finish this with just three categories: offense overall, defense overall. And then I decided to give a grade to Coach Borrego. So 45 seconds, uh, I'm going to give my little spiel about this, and then I'm going to pass it off to you, Spencer. I'm going to go ahead and give my grades for each and every one of these. So 45 seconds on the clock starts now. Offense, I'm going to give it a C-. minus. I think overall the shot profile is good. The ball movement is good. Borrego does a good job of trying to get multiple players involved, and you see that during you know the clutch offense and the Hornets do play well in the clutch in terms of their offensive side of the ball. It's improved a whole lot since last season. So that's why I'm going to give it a C minus. If you look at the, you know, if you look at the numbers, it's it's not an average offense. It's a, it's a below average offense, but I think the idea is good. Defense, all the points that we mentioned previously, I'm going to go with a D. They just can't stop teams. And then coach Borrego, I'm going to give him a B minus. I think that he was brought in here for player development and I think we have seen hints and little pieces of that and I do think that his after timeout plays are I wouldn't say you know top notch but they are definitely effective so I'm going to go offense C minus defense D and then coach Borrego I'm going to go with B minus Spencer jump in here okay uh yeah offense I'm going to go C plus love where the shots are coming from you got to knock down the shots which the Hornets are not doing right now Malik Monk I'm looking at you come on we've seen you do this we know it's in there if that guy knocks down a few more shots you're going to see that efficiency number as a team fly up uh defense I think that um I think I gotta go D minus here it's been pretty pathetic um you know certain guys on the team giving it an effort uh, most not giving the effort they could and I, and I do think it boils down to that with with a young team coach Brego I will go I think I'm gonna go B um he's obviously made a, a huge impact in instilling a culture on the offensive end defensively like I said a minute ago there's uh, it's yet to be seen you know, we'll see if he can instill the same thing on that end. Um, and Richie, good point about his after timeout plays. It's a refreshing change from Kimba too, right? It's not knowing we're going to call this timeout and then we're just going to pound the rock with Kimba <laughs> around a few ball screens to see if he can get a shot up. So some creative stuff. So well done, Borrego B. Yeah, offensively solid B. Uh, again, I think there's been some promise from the young players and shots are coming from the right areas. And they're trying new stuff, playing out of the post with Miles Bridges, playing out of the post with P.J. Washington, um, right, letting P.J. run uh, pick and roll or that little pick and slip action that they do with him as the ball handler, which they they brought back for uh, against Portland as well, too. I just think they're, they're trying some new stuff. And I think there's even, as the season progresses, they can try to get even uh, funkier with some of their combinations and you just wish they had personnel that would allow them to explore more small ball combinations. Like when they go to that, it can really only be with PJ and miles at the four and five or PJ and Marvin or, or Marvin and, and, and miles, which we haven't seen that much this season, but occasionally that's maybe where MKG could have carved out a, a role on this team, but alas, uh, d- defensively C minus, you know, I just brought up the personnel. I think if they, I think the defense, which is not good, um, you know, if it were underachieving, if you were looking out and saying, man, they've got some guys that really could be, could be could just a one wing, you know, defenders or, or NBA level rotation level plus defenders, whatever. And, and they're this bad. Well, that's a problem. And, and they don't have that. I mean, they're just, they play a smallish backcourt. 
They don't have a lot of super long guys. Uh, the guys that are potential stoppers can't get on the court because of their offense. Cody Martin, Michael K. Gilchrist, uh, Martin especially is sort of the, the one flummoxing option because you, you'd like to see him play a little bit more. Uh, and then they have guys like Miles Bridges, who's just like a little bit of a space cadet um, defensively when it comes to off ball. And so when they have nights when they're slow or, or they miss assignments or whatever like i mean it gets it gets it gets ugly quickly and it'd be nice if you could find more playing time for cody martin i think pj washington's health defense has been a nice plus to this team uh, as far as james rago goes like some of the the rotation meddling with the wing the wing position it's like a little head scratching and we, we sort of saw monk and his minutes fluctuate last season that was sort of a, a point of contention in the off season I think at times his play calling can get like a little stale, but it's based in the right school of thought. And I think, as you guys brought up too, like he's just been on fire with, with after timeout calls this season. I thought the game against Houston, or pardon me, not Houston, the game against Utah before Christmas in Charlotte, he called up like just six or seven just killer plays after timeouts in that game. It was really impressive. He's got a buy-in from Terry Rozier. Um, that's even after a Rozier changed his position, like on the fly, the first month or so of the season this year and was able to, to to move him off ball and um, and have Rozier come in and, and or pardon me have Devonte come in and be the guy that dominates the ball in terms of time of possession and is the team's primary initiator and Rozier it's been fine and he's had some nights where obviously where he's gotten hot and he's carried the offense certainly those those Cleveland games bring true and the last lastly here you know big part of his vision coming in was player development so far Devonte Graham big strides Malik Monk like Spencer said the shot has been a little wonky this year defensively improved PJ ready from day one he's added new pieces as the season's gone along too Cody Martin looks ready to play NBA basketball certainly on the defensive end as well too like I think to an extent Jay Hernandez James Brago this coaching staff like they get credit for some of that um and because because it was part of what he was brought in to do and, and, and so as some of the as some of the young guys have progressed in the offseason and during this season, uh, I think that's encouraging. And so I would give James Borrego a B-plus for my grade. Very good, Brian. I, I want to hear you listeners' thoughts about your rankings with the offense, the defense, and, and Coach Borrego. I think Brian's grades are going to have to be null and void because he went over the shot clock. So unfortunately, Brian... Uh, uh, that's okay. I'm all right with that. <laughs> all right, guys. The, uh, the Hornets have a little bit of an odd schedule coming up, mostly because of this game in Paris. The Hornets play... Denver tonight, uh, by the time you're listening to this. And then they have four days off, and then they play Magic on next Monday. And then they have three days off before they play the Bucks in France. So a uh, little bit of a uh, slowed-down schedule here, but they deserve it because they have played, I believe, the most games in the NBA. So thanks again for tuning in to another BuzzBeat. As always, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. Uh, believe us when we say we do read those and try to implement any ideas that you guys have for us. For BG, for Spencer, I am Richie. We will see you guys next time.